There was a knock one morning, a man was standing at my door. He said, hello, I'm from Halliburton, have you heard of us before? We'd like to lease your backyard to drill for natural gas. It's called hydraulic fracturing, and it is the very past for a clean energy future above the Marcella Stone. Plus, we'll give you lots of money and a new mobile phone. I said, you are a corporate crook. I don't believe the things you tell, and you can drive right off my property and then go straight to hell. No fracking way. No fracking way, I don't trust corporate salesmen, whatever they may say. No fracking way, no fracking way, no fracking way. No fracking way, no fracking way. And that was an excerpt from the David Rovick's song, No Fracking Way. You can find that entire song on the album Big Red Sessions. Welcome to Frack You Very Much, a fracking terrible podcast. If you want to send me a message or check out all the back episodes, you can go to frackyouverymuch.com. On the website, you'll also find some links to make a donation. You can make a one-time or recurring donation to keep this podcast free and independent. First up, we have a story published at ecowatch.com, and this is written by Nick Cunningham. The decade-long fracking boom in Appalachia has not led to significant job growth, and despite the region's extraordinary levels of natural gas production, the industry's promise of prosperity has, quote, turned into almost nothing, according to a new report. The fracking boom has received broad support from politicians across the aisle in Appalachia due to dreams of enormous job creation, but a report released on February 10 from Pennsylvania-based economic and sustainability think tank, the Ohio River Valley Institute, ORVI, sheds a new light on the reality of this hype. The report looked at how 22 counties across West Virginia, Pennsylvania, and Ohio, accounting for 90% of the region's natural gas production, fared during the fracking boom. It found the counties that saw the most drilling ended up with weaker job growth and declining populations compared to other parts of Appalachia and the nation as a whole. Shale gas production from Appalachia exploded from minimal levels a little over a decade ago to more than 32 billion cubic feet per day in 2019, or roughly 40% of the nation's total output. During this time, between 2008 and 2019, GDP across these 22 counties grew three times faster than that of the nation as a whole. However, based on a variety of metrics for actual economic prosperity, such as job growth, population growth, and the region's share of national income, the region fell further behind than the rest of the country. Between 2008 and 2019, the number of jobs across the U.S. expanded by 10% according to the Orvi report. But in Ohio, Pennsylvania, and West Virginia, job growth grew only by 4%. More glaringly, the 22 gas-producing counties in those three states, ground zero for the drilling boom, only experienced 1.7% job growth. Quote, 
What's really disturbing is that these disappointing results came about at a time when the region's natural gas industry was operating at full capacity. So it's hard to imagine a scenario in which the results would be better, said Sean O'Leary, the report's author. The report cited Belmont County, Ohio as a particularly shocking case. Belmont County has received more than a third of all natural gas investment in the state and accounts for more than a third of the state's gas production. The industry also accounts for about 60% of the county's economy. Because of the boom, the county's GDP grew five times faster than the national rate. And yet, the county saw a 7% decline in jobs and a 2% decline in population over the past decade. This report documents that many Marcellus and Utica region fracking gas counties typically have lost both population and jobs from 2008 to 2019, said John Hanger, former Pennsylvania Secretary of Environment Protection, commenting on the report. This report explodes in a fireball of numbers the claims that the natural gas industry would bring prosperity to Pennsylvania, Ohio, or West Virginia. These are stubborn facts that indicate gas drilling has done the opposite in most of the top drilling counties. This lack of job growth was not what the industry promised. A 2010 study from the American Petroleum Institute predicted that Pennsylvania would see more than 211,000 jobs created by 2020 due to the fracking boom, while West Virginia would see an additional 43,000 jobs. Studies like these were widely cited by politicians as proof that the fracking boom was an economic imperative and must be supported. But the Ohio River Valley Institute report reveals the disconnect between a drilling boom and rising GDP on the one hand, and worse local employment outcomes on the other. There are likely many reasons for this disconnect related to the long list of negative externalities associated with fracking. The boom and bust nature of extractive industries creates risk for other business sectors, such as extreme economic volatility deterring new businesses or expansions of existing ones. Meanwhile, air, water, and noise pollution negatively impact the health and environment of residents living nearby. Quote, There can be no mistake that the closer people live to shale gas development, the higher their risk for poor health outcomes. Allison Steele, executive director of the Southwestern Pennsylvania Environmental Health Project, told Deesmaw. More than two dozen peer-reviewed epidemiological studies show a correlation between living near shale gas development and a host of health issues, such as worsening asthmas, heart failure hospitalizations, premature births, and babies born with low birth weights and birth defects. Moreover, oil and gas drilling is capital-intensive, not job-intensive. As the example of Belmont County shows, only about 12% of income generated by the gas industry can be attributable to wages and employment, while in other sectors, on average, more than half of income goes to workers. In other words, it costs a lot of money to drill, but it doesn't employ a lot of people, and much of the income is siphoned off to shareholders. To top it off, equipment and people are imported from outside the region. Many of the jobs created went to workers brought in from places such as Texas and Oklahoma. 
Despite the huge increase in shale gas production over the past decade, the vast majority of the 22 counties experiencing the drilling boom also experienced, quote, economic stagnation or outright decline in depopulation, the report said. The American Petroleum Institute did not respond to a request for comment. Quote, We could see long ago that the job numbers published and pushed out by the industry years ago were based in bluster, not our economic realities. Veronica Coptis, executive director of Coalfield Justice, a nonprofit based in southwest Pennsylvania, told DSMOG, commenting on the report. At industry's behest and encouragement, Pennsylvania promoted shale gas development aggressively in rural areas for more than a decade. And yet the southwestern counties at the epicenter of fracking do not show any obvious improvement in well-being. After natural gas prices fell sharply amid a glut of supply beginning in 2012, the number of wells drilled began to slow. Industry proponents then pinned their hopes on a new future, plastics. Petrochemical facilities would process low-cost natural gas into the building blocks of plastic and spur a virtuous cycle of new manufacturing while prolonging the drilling boom. A 2017 study from the American Chemistry Council said that Appalachia could support as many as nine ethane crackers, massive petrochemical facilities that use natural gas liquids to manufacture little plastic pellets. This study said that the Appalachian petrochemical renaissance was in its early stages, but the build-out would bring along a slew of processing facilities and, crucially, a large-scale petrochemical storage hub. Once built, the industry boasted that all of this petrochemical infrastructure would attract more than $35 billion in investment to the region, add more than 25,000 direct jobs, and another 43,000 indirect jobs. But this petrochemical promise, too, has mostly been a mirage. Most of the proposed ethane crackers have been cancelled or delayed. Only one has moved forward, Shell's ethane cracker in Beaver County, Pennsylvania, which was lured to the state with a $1.6 billion tax credit, the largest tax break in Pennsylvania history. Even in Beaver County, job growth has been anemic. The county saw employment actually contract by 0.5% between 2008 and 2019, despite breaking ground on Appalachia's flagship petrochemical facility, according to Orvi. In reality, the Shell Cracker will employ several thousand people temporarily during construction, but only employ 600 people permanently when it comes online. The market for petrochemicals has soured dramatically since Shell gave the green light on the project several years ago, raising doubts about future growth. And yet, in 2020, the Pennsylvania legislature passed another $667 million tax credit intended to lure in more petrochemical facilities to the state. Democratic Governor Tom Wolf supported it. As the Orvi report concluded, quote, Policymakers should look very critically at proposals to expand or otherwise assist the natural gas industry, which has yet to demonstrate that it is capable of contributing positively locally on a large scale to the states and counties where it is most prevalent. And next up we have a piece from stateimpact.npr.org. Groups oppose Pittsburgh area fracking waste injection well. 
Environmental groups are asking Governor Tom Wolf to revoke state permits for a fracking waste injection well in the Pittsburgh suburb of Plum. It's one of a handful of new injection wells permitted to open in Pennsylvania by the EPA. The wells receive fluid drilling waste created by fracking and gas production. The groups are worried that these waters, too toxic to be processed at municipal wastewater plants, will threaten private well water, the nearby Allegheny River, and that the high-pressure injection could induce earthquakes. In a letter to Governor Tom Wolf, the group said that the well, quote, would present devastating risks to several downstream Allegheny River public drinking water systems, including the Pittsburgh Water and Sewer Authority, which provides drinking water to hundreds of thousands. The letter points to a 2016 U.S. Geological Survey study that found oil and gas waste from an underground injection well in West Virginia had contaminated a nearby creek. The groups warned fracking waste could seep into groundwater and tributaries to the Allegheny River through a well casing failure or underground fissures caused by nearby coal mines and gas wells. Representatives from Delmont, Pennsylvania-based Penico Environmental Solutions, the company developing the well, did not respond to requests for comment. The company's website states that the process of underground injection is safe and, quote, is crucial to environmental protection and energy production. In April 2020, the Pennsylvania Department of Environmental Protection gave Penico a permit to pump 54,000 barrels of waste, 42 gallons per barrel, a month into the Murraysville sandstone, an 80-foot-thick rock layer, 1,900 feet below the ground. A spokeswoman for Wolf said the governor would look into the issue, but said there wasn't much he could do. Quote, The governor does not have the authority to to himself revoke or suspend permits, said Beth Reminter, a Wolf spokeswoman, in a statement. Ensuring that permitted projects meet all statutory and regulatory requirements is a responsibility of DEP, and the department will review the details of this as well. In granting Penico's permit, the DEP wrote that the well was, quote, a lawful alternative to other disposal options that have greater risk to the public, and that it was improbable that the well would pose a problem to the public. Oil and gas waste, or brine, is a liquid that can contain carcinogenic chemicals, heavy metals, and high levels of radioactive materials found naturally underground. A 2011 analysis by federal scientists found liquid waste from Marcellus shale wells, and concentrations of radium, a radioactive element found naturally underground, roughly 40 times what the Federal Nuclear Regulatory Commission classifies as hazardous or radioactive waste. Federal law exempts oil and gas waste from being classified as hazardous waste. The brine is also high in salts, in many cases at levels far exceeding federal water quality standards. The EPA has banned disposing of this waste in municipal wastewater plants, a method employed by oil and gas companies in the early days of Pennsylvania's fracking boom. Oil and gas companies in Pennsylvania reuse 90% of the waste they create during the fracking process, according to the DEP, but the rest, over 200 million gallons per year according to state waste records, is injected into underground wells. Most of the waste goes to Ohio disposal wells, but nine wells are operating in Pennsylvania, according to the EPA, while five more are under construction.
The DEP and EPA say the waste injected into the plum well at a depth of 1,900 feet will be far enough away from shallower underground aquifers and shielded by impermeable shale layers that it won't pose much of a threat to the public. They say that the well is several thousand feet above any faults or seismically active formations far enough away that injections won't cause earthquakes. In several states, including Oklahoma and Ohio, geologists have concluded that wastewater injected close to fault areas has caused earthquakes. But the groups opposing the well are not swayed. Tony Ingrafia, Dwight C. Baum, Professor of Engineer Emeritus at Cornell University, reviewed the company's permit for the local groups, including Protect PT, Breathe Project, and Citizens for Plum. Ingrafea, who was not paid by the groups for his review, said the well wasn't originally designed to accept highly pressurized liquid waste and worries stress over time could lead the well to fail. The well was constructed in 1985 as a natural gas production well before Penico converted it into an injection well. Rather than low-pressure upwelling of natural gas inside the well, Ingrafea said, it's now going to be tasked with injecting much higher pressures repeatedly over a long period of time, liquid waste. This makes the well designed from 1985, in my opinion, inadequate for this new intended purpose. As a precaution, the EPA has mandated the company install a monitoring well to keep tabs on the groundwater near the injection site. Terry Engelder, Emeritus Professor of Geosciences at Penn State, said that fresh water is more buoyant than the salty wastewater injected into disposal wells. Because of this, he said, the wastewater is unlikely to migrate upward through cleaner underground aquifers. The chances of this wastewater migrating upward a thousand feet, particularly if it is managed in a reasonable rate of injection, is slim, Engelder said. But Engelder said that certain conditions could cause injected wastewater to migrate, like the presence of old oil and gas wells nearby. The plum well is drilled through an old coal mine, and Penico identified 16 abandoned gas wells in a half-mile radius of the injection well, and 66 gas wells within one mile. Several nearby gas wells have been plugged by the company, but a geological analysis conducted by the DEP found the company could find, quote, a number of wells located on historic farm and mine maps using metal detecting equipment. I think that the presence of those gas wells would call for extra care, Engelder said. And from injection wells in Pennsylvania, we move to a spill of um, fracking wastewater in Ohio. This piece is published at Dispatch.com and is written by Beth Berger. Thousands of gallons of fracking waste spilled from an oil and gas well in Noble County for four days before it was stopped, Ohio Department of Natural Resources confirmed Thursday. Quote, Containment measures have been put in place to prevent the flow of fluid into a nearby tributary, said Sarah Wickham, an ODNR spokeswoman. The Ohio Environmental Protection Agency and local officials were notified and have assisted the division in the response. The spill was first reported by an adjacent landowner 
on Alfred Brown Road in Dexter City on January 24 to the state's incident notification line, Wickham said. The cause of the spill was not immediately known and is under investigation. ODNR said the preliminary tests show the fluid appears to be fracking waste. The well, which is located on a 40-acre site in Jackson Township, is owned by Parksburg, West Virginia-based Genesis Resources, an independent oil and gas operator. The company operates vertical oil and gas wells in Ohio at geological depth ranging from 500 feet to more than 7,000 feet. As of Friday morning, the company did not respond to a request for comment. Oil and gas well drillers use a process known as hydraulic fracturing or fracking in which they inject sand, water, and chemicals to blast through rock layers thousands of feet below the surface to release oil and gas trapped within. The fluid that is left over, also known as brine, is a byproduct that is collected, transported, and then permanently stored in injection wells. Ohio has more than 200 injection wells that are full of fluid with waste ingredients that many companies don't have to disclose, citing trade secret protections. Quote, There have been no injuries or evacuations and the extent of impact to the environment has not yet been determined, Wickham said in a statement. A nearby tributary, Taylor Fork, was initially affected by the spill with an unknown amount of fish getting killed off. Containment measures include ODNR overseeing contractors to build emergency containments to collect fluid flowing from the well. On Tuesday, a system of containment structures, including pipes and storage tanks, were installed to stop the fluid from entering the environment, Wickham said. By Thursday, the flow of fluid was stopped. About 39,000 barrels of fluid were collected and disposed of, she said. The well, which is named Gant Florence Ohio Power Company, had its first year of production in 1986, according to ODNR records. However, the last time the well produced a sizable amount of gas was in 2012. The well has a depth of more than 6,000 feet. Records show the well is still labeled as a producing well even though it hasn't been in use for some time. Quote, Moreover, this well should have been plugged once it was determined to be non-producing, according to ODNR's own regulations, said Teresa Mills, Executive Director of Buckeye Environmental Network. Matt Hammond, President of Ohio Oil and Gas Association, said in a statement, Ohio's gas and oil industry is subject to a strict regulatory oversight and our association continues to support rigorous common-sense rules to protect the health, safety, and well-being of the communities in which we operate. The operator of this well is not a member of the Ohio Oil and Gas Association. Based on what we know, it is unclear why the well was not plugged, as the regulations require the well to be plugged once determined to be non-producing. One person posted video of the spill on Facebook, saying, quote, this is what injection wells do to oil and gas wells that have been dead for six years. That's 2.2 barrels of brine water a minute, folks. Over two miles of fish kill. Experts say people can be exposed to fracking waste through spills, air emissions, the migration of underground fluids from injection wells where fracking wastewater is disposed of, or the migration of oil and gas at production wells. In September, 
ODNR notified the public fracking waste from an injection well in Washington County migrated to gas-producing wells at least five miles away. There are at least nine injection wells permitted in Noble County. As of 2019, 1.9 million barrels of fracking waste was injected and stored thousands of feet underground. Six wells were active at that time. Of those, two injection wells owned by Marietta-based Deep Rock Disposal Solutions are less than three miles away from the Gantt-Florence well. A third injection well, owned by Columbus-based Northwood Energy, is less than four miles away, records show. A message seeking comment was left with both companies. Neither company has reported any issues to ODNR this past week, Wickham said. Noble County has the seventh highest volume of frac waste in the state in 2019. Quote, There are an estimated 150,000 or more abandoned wells in Ohio that ODNR doesn't even know the location of. As evidenced by the recent blowout, this is a ticking time bomb waiting to happen, Mills said. We have been exposing Ohio as a radioactive dumping ground that accepts oil and gas waste from all over the region for more than 10 years. The state follows the whims of the oil and gas industry over the residents and the environment. This must stop. Quote, It is not yet clear if state authorities ever notified the public, according to a statement from the Sierra Club. Spills are typically reported to the U.S. EPA's National Response Center, but in this case no reports were made. Because preliminary testing indicated the fluid involved was brine, the incident did not meet national reporting threshold, Wickham said. Shelley Corbin, campaign representative for, in Ohio for the Sierra Club's Beyond Dirty Fuels campaign, said the fracking industry continues to put Ohioans at risk. Enough is enough. Governor DeWine should immediately issue a moratorium on fracked gas projects and the disposal of oil and gas waste in Ohio, while strengthening common-sense protections for the health of our air, water, climate, and communities, she said in a statement. If Governor DeWine can't protect the people of his own state from dirty, dangerous, fracked gas, then the U.S. EPA should step in and use every power at its disposal to do so. And another story about the fracking waste that Pennsylvania sends to Ohio. This piece is published also by stateimpact.npr.org. This is written by Julie Grant. Each well drilled using hydraulic fracturing or fracking for oil and gas production creates tens of millions of gallons of wastewater called produced water or brine. In Ohio, much of that wastewater is disposed of in underground injection wells, including waste from Pennsylvania and West Virginia. As the number of injection wells grows in Ohio, local communities want some control over where these wells are located. In Belmont County, Ohio, Judy Berger's husband is getting ready to retire. After 25 years, their peaceful home near the highway is quickly changing. I'm a nervous wreck. I'm on blood pressure medicine, she said. I have my Venetian blinds closed in my house so I don't have to look across the street to see the mayhem and the destruction in the coming reality. Across the street, Omni Energy Group of New Jersey has been drilling two frack waste injection wells. 
Heavy construction equipment has torn up the ground, and some days loud drilling noises remind her of what's coming. When the work is done, wastewater from oil and gas operations in Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania will be trucked here, according to state transportation study. 48 trucks will enter and exit the site during peak hours in the morning and afternoon to inject waste into the wells, salty brine that the U.S. EPA says can be toxic and radioactive. Berger doesn't want to live here anymore, and she doubts anyone else would either. It's beyond description how horrible it is to feel like you're stuck. We were told we have no property value, she said. Nobody would buy our property. Berger wants it known that she is not an environmentalist. She voted for the past two Republican governors. Yes, I'm a Republican. I voted for Mike DeWine. I voted for John Kasich, she said. But she blames those same Republicans for supporting industry over local communities. Why the state favors somebody who comes in here from out of our state over its own citizens, she said. That's what's happening. For years, many Republican leaders in southeastern Ohio have lined up to support the oil and gas industry. They've seen some residents make good money from land leases and royalties and find good-paying jobs in things like machinery rentals and pipeline construction. But like Judy Berger, some of those same leaders in Belmont County are flummoxed by the lack of local control inciting the Omni injection wells and two others nearby by another company. We've got the township trustees don't want it. We've got the county commissioners don't want it. We've got the state rep don't want it. We've got the locals that don't want it, said Republican State Senator Frank Hoagland, who represents the area. And I myself put in a letter saying we don't need it there. Hoagland has also gone directly to the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, the ODNR, which has regulatory authority over the oil and gas industry. I asked the director of ODNR. I said, so you've got everybody saying no, but you guys are going to authorize it anyways? And the director flat out said, if it fits within the ORC, Ohio Revised Code, we have to allow it to happen. We have to give them the permit, he recalled. The ODNR did not respond to requests for an interview. In an email, spokesperson Stephanie O'Grady said basically the same thing. If an applicant can meet the terms and conditions to prevent risks to public health, safety, and the environment, she said, the chief shall issue the permit. In the case of Omni Energy, local residents wrote letters to the ODNR, according to the agency, with concerns about truck traffic and idling, the noise and proximity to homes and schools. When the pandemic hit, The ODNR attempted to delay a decision until it could hold a public hearing in person, but Omni sued to force permit decisions for both wells. A public hearing is not required by law. The Ohio Supreme Court sided with Omni, requiring the agency to to deny or approve the permits. The ODNR approved two permits late last year. The drilling sound will subside after construction is completed, according to Chris Gagan, attorney for Omni Energy. It is, the site is near the Interstate 70 and other major roadways, and the ODNR inspectors found that, quote, the initial drilling activities did not materially increase the surrounding ambient noise levels from the surrounding traffic noise, Gagan said in an email. It is literally that loud on a normal basis in that area. He said Omni is setting up the site to reduce the impact of trucks on the community, and the design of the wells will be what he calls, quote, industry-leading to prevent groundwater contamination and surface leaks.
The owner of one local gas station told the Allegheny Front he expects an increase in sales when all the wastewater haulers start pulling in. Ed Maurer, manager of the Energy Institute at the nearby Belmont College, has seen the county benefit from the oil and gas industry. Quote, The 11 new hotels, the 1,400 new hotel rooms, he pointed out, all the employment, whether it's an HVAC dealer, and installing those air conditioning units in the hotels, or to the people that receive money through leasing. Maurer understands why nearby residents are concerned about truck traffic, but he said that injection wells are a necessary part of energy development, since the waste it produces has to go someplace. Quote, Disposal wells are a fact of the oil and gas industry, he said. But nearly half of the more than 38 million barrels of waste injected in Ohio disposal wells in 2017 came from West Virginia and Pennsylvania, according to the ODNR. So somewhere there was a decoupling of what's generated in Ohio and what Ohio is disposing of, which means that we are more and more taking in a higher percentage of other people's stuff said Ted Auk of the nonprofit Fract Tracker Alliance. One reason Ohio takes waste from Pennsylvania, it has many more disposal wells. According to the ODNR, Ohio has 266 wells authorized to inject frac waste. Pennsylvania has 16, according to US EPA, which regulates injection wells in Pennsylvania. Ohio, meanwhile, has primacy to regulate injection wells. In 1983, decades before the modern shale industry, the federal government granted the state regulatory authority. Elk and others concerned about injection wells think it might be time to reconsider Ohio's primacy. Quote, Primacy is a special thing. You should have to demonstrate all the time that you're worthy of that as a state. And the state of Ohio has not done that. Elk said, The levels of money and labor that they've had in that program over time have not kept pace with the amount of activity they've been charged with overseeing. Still in 2015, the U.S. EPA found that Ohio was running a, quote, good quality program, praising the agency for dealing with the potential for earthquakes caused by injection wells, while still recommending stronger enforcement for operators with repeat violations. In recent years, as more injection wells are permitted, there have been problems. In 2019, brine injected into one well in Washington County migrated into producing oil and gas wells five miles away. And just this month, an old gas well started spewing brine for days into the environment, killing fish. Brine is suspected to have come from a nearby injection well. According to the state, there have been 65 spills of oil and gas-related brine in the past three years. Eleven of those happened in Belmont County, where Omni Energy is building its injection wells. Senator Hoagland said he does not want Ohio to give up its authority over injection wells to the federal government. Quote, I'd much rather say, hey, look, if we've got the state legislators, the local leadership to include the township leadership, saying, hell no, we don't want this. Well, to me, that should be good enough, he said. The ODNR could do more work with local communities on siting decisions, Hoagland said. He and other local leaders are looking at ways to change state law to encourage that. As those uh, pieces pointed out, one of the significant factors of that uh, fracking wastewater is radioactivity. 
in this next story from Kentucky.com, written by Bill Estep, points to the regulation and control of transporting that waste. A Kentucky man has pleaded guilty to violating federal safety regulations in connection with illegally hauling tons of radioactive waste to a landfill in Estill County. Corey David Hoskins pleaded guilty Wednesday in federal court to two charges of shipping the waste without the proper labeling. Hoskins faces up to five years in prison and a fine of up to $250,000 when he is sentenced in June. The indictment against him also included charges of mail fraud punishable by up to 20 years in prison in relation to five checks totaling $170,000 he received for shipping the waste. Those charges will be dismissed under the plea deal. Hoskins operated a company called Advanced Tenorm Services in West Liberty, according to court documents. Tenorm stands for Technologically Enhanced Naturally Occurring Radioactive Material. It is a waste product of hydraulic fracturing or fracking to recover oil and natural gas and is classified as hazardous because of low-level radioactivity. Hoskins Company contracted to haul and dispose of waste from the oil and gas industry in 2015 and 2016, according to his plea agreement. Trucking companies that haul hazardous waste are supposed to have a special safety permit, and the material and trucks hauling it are supposed to be marked with notices that the material is hazardous. One reason for that is to let police and firefighters know what is in the truck if it is in a wreck. Hoskins told the head of the company in West Virginia that he was an expert in testing for radium, but he didn't do any tests to figure out the level of radioactivity in the sludge before hiring trucking companies to transport it according to his plea agreement. He also hired trucking companies that didn't have a permit to handle hazardous waste, didn't tell the truckers the sludge was hazardous, and didn't properly label the containers he acknowledged. At least one driver asked if the waste was hazardous, and Hoskins told him it wasn't. Hoskins arranged for 46 shipments of the waste from West Virginia to Kentucky in July and August 2015, according to his plea. Hoskins had the waste hauled to the Blue Ridge Landfill in Estill County, which was not rated to handle it. The Herald-Leader reported in 2017 that Hoskins arranged to ship 2.4 million pounds of low-level radioactive waste into Kentucky in 2015 and early 2016. The dumping caused a good deal of concern in Estill County, in part because there are schools nearby, but state officials said in 2016 that the waste did not pose an imminent health threat. And finally, some good news on the battle against fracking and the battle to protect the environment and the people. This is from NRDC.org, written by Marissa Guerrero and Kimberly Ong. Fracking banned in the Delaware River Basin. Today marks an important day for public health and environmental protection. Fracking is now banned in the Delaware River Basin. In a historic move, the Delaware River Basin Commission, the body responsible for safeguarding the water quality of the Delaware River Basin, voted to outlaw fracking in the region. 
Four of the five commissioners, including the governors of New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, and Delaware, voted for the ban, taking a strong stance that fracking, quote, poses significant, immediate, and long-term risks to the development, conservation, utilization, management, and preservation of the water resources of the Delaware River Basin. The Delaware River Basin is the watershed at the base of the majestic Delaware River, the longest free-flowing river east of the Mississippi. The Delaware stretches from the Catskills in New York State through parts of New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware, and Maryland, providing drinking water to 17 million people. It is one of the most important fisheries in the country, a critical habitat for countless species of flora and fauna, including native trout, American eels, and bald eagles. The pristine Delaware River Basin has long been at risk of being used for hydraulic fracturing. Fracking is the process of extracting fossil fuels like oil and gas by injecting a mixture of water, salt, and thousands of toxic chemicals into the earth. It is an incredibly dangerous activity. The chemicals used are toxic pollutants that have been linked to cancer, mutations, and other adverse impacts on human health and are destructive to aquatic life and ecosystems. If the Delaware River Basin were to be used for fracking, around 45,000 people would find themselves living within one mile of the planned fracking well pad locations, now at high risk of those health threats. What's more, fracking contributes to the intensifying global climate crisis. At all stages of extraction, transmission, and combustion, fracking releases methane, an extremely potent greenhouse gas. Concerningly, building fracking infrastructure in the basin would signal support for the development, transmission, and use of fossil fuels, the leading driver of climate change. Banning fracking in the Delaware River Basin is an historic event. It marks a commitment to protecting human and environmental health, not just for those who depend on the Delaware River, but for an entire planet threatened by climate change. This groundbreaking decision is a product of years of hard-fought advocacy by NRDC and other allies, including the Delaware Riverkeeper Network, Catskill Mountain Keeper, Sierra Club New Jersey Chapter, Food and Water Watch, League of Women Voters of New Jersey, Clean Water Action, Environment New Jersey, and Damascus Citizens for Sustainability. Following nearly 10 years of efforts forged by NRDC and our partner environmental groups to protect the watershed, the Delaware River Basin Commission first proposed today's fracking ban in 2017. Since then, NRDC and our partners have waged a comprehensive campaign to support a full ban on fracking. Central to our campaign has been the push for a ban on additional fracking-related activities, like the disposal of toxic fracking waste into the basin. From publishing news articles and blogs to circulating petitions and action alerts, we have worked to mobilize our members to attend commission meetings, submit comments, and advocate for the ban. Additionally, our staff have spoken at commission meetings, offered written comments, and submitted an amicus brief for consideration in a lawsuit challenging the commission's authority to regulate fracking in the basin. Our coalition, as well as NRDC's own engaged membership base, has worked hard. After years of advocacy, that work has come to fruition in today's critical vote. 
The decision about whether or not to permit fracking in the Delaware River Basin is one of the most important decisions the Commission has made in recent years, if not all time. The basin now joins New York, which recently banned fracking across the state, as a leader in the move away from fossil fuel infrastructure and toward a cleaner and greener future. We thank the Commission, especially New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, New York Governor Andrew Cuomo, Delaware Governor John Carney, and Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, for taking historic action against fracking and for protecting our people and our planet. But the fight is not over. While this vote enacts a full ban on fracking, it does not prohibit the transportation and disposal of fracking waste, nor does it ban the withdrawal and export of water from the watershed for fracking purposes. NRDC and our allies will continue to fight to protect this critical watershed until it is fully protected from the dangers of fracking and all of its associated activities. And that'll wrap up this episode of Frack You Very Much. Remember, you can go to frackyouverymuch.com for the back episodes or to make a donation or send me a message. You can also follow on Twitter at FYVM Show. You can listen to this and all my podcasts playing 24-7 at movingtrainradio.com. From the album Big Shot in the Dark, here is Timbuk3 with The Little Things. Thanks for listening.
you 